pray. Father, we thank you today for your goodness and grace for this opportunity to worship you and to enter into this communion with you through worship, spirit to spirit, that is so precious to you. Help us to learn to grow in that, that we may have a living encounter with you every time we come together in this place. And Father, now we turn to your word. You have ordained that we grow through the preaching and teaching of your word. And we thank you that you've given this word to us. We trust the Holy Spirit now because your word tells us that he's the one that searches the depths of your heart to reveal to us the things that you have freely given to us. And so we're trusting him to do that. Father, as best I know how, I have prepared, sought you, searched what's in my heart to share, and spent time with you seeking that I would only speak what you want spoken with the heart with which you once spoken. And we ask you to give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts to grasp what the Spirit is saying to each of us individually, as well as to a congregation collectively. And for that, we thank you in advance. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Well, several weeks ago, I mean, while in the series that we're teaching here, we began the series called The Answer. The answer to every problem, every situation whether it's in your personal life, whether it's in your marriage, whether it's with your children, whether it's with your finances, whether it's in your job, whether it's in our community, in our culture, in our nation, we certainly need answers. And it seems at first like a very presumptuous, bold, proud thing to say that I can give you the answer. Well, I can't give you any answer. To say that God can give you the answer and that it's simple. But that's what the Word of God teaches. And so we went back and looked at the beginning of the problem, which is the root of all problems, ultimately, and that's back in the garden. When God created this earth, when He, when he put it into the hands of the man and the woman that He created, it was perfect. We didn't have these kind of problems. We didn't have the darkness. We didn't have the issues. There was a fun fully functional family. Everything was going perfectly. Because the way God set it up is they did not decide for themselves what was right and wrong. They simply had to obey God. We saw that God did not design man to handle the knowledge of good and evil on his own apart from God. We don't have that capacity to do that. And so what are we to do? As long as we obey God, he handles that for us. So it's really simple. All we have to do is obey God in every situation. And He has and has given us the answer. And He's given that to us in the Word of God. The Word of God spoken has, contains, and has the ability to answer every issue in your life. You say, well, that's, that's so simple. Then how come I still have all these problems? Well, that's what we're going to begin to talk about today. Because it's one thing to have the answer. It's one thing to know the answer. It's a very different thing to receive the answer and to apply it in your life. So we're going to talk a little bit about that to begin with and just to show you why it's critical not just to know something but to have to receive it into your life and into your heart. So there's a great example of that it just in, in, in the ultimate answer that God gave. It's in, in John chapter 1. So let's go to John chapter 1. I love John's account of this. It's so good. It's talking, it, it began, in the beginning was the Word and the Word was God and the Word was God. He was, he was with God and, and He was God. All right. and, but then he talks about, this is Christ coming to the earth, the Son of God. And he talks about Him as being the light into the world. Well, what does light represent? Light represents truth. It represents life and it represents truth. It represents seeing what's actually there clearly. And so the ultimate light, the ultimate truth that God brought into the world was His Son. In fact, Jesus said of Himself, I'm doing a little mini-series on our TV program, Catch the Truth, on what is the truth. And Jesus said about Himself, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. It is in Me. And so God sent His Son to be the true light which gives light to every man coming into the world. Verse 10. And He was in the world, and the world was made through Him. Look at this irony. But the world 
didn't know him. The answer was here, but they didn't recognize and know the answer. Verse 11. He came unto his own, that's the Jews, and his own did not receive him. Now, just think about this a second. This is the Messiah. It's not like that was some strange concept to them. They had been praying for and believing for the Messiah, the Deliverer, the answer to come to them for generations and generations and generations. And now He comes to His own and they didn't receive the answer they'd been... Ooh. They didn't receive the answer they'd been... They didn't receive the answer they'd been praying for all these years. Why? Because He didn't come in the form and a manner they were expecting. He didn't fit into what they were prepared to receive. They were prepared to receive someone that was going to deliver them from the the dominion and the bondage of Rome, a political deliverance. And He came to deliver them from a much deeper and much more fatal bondage that they didn't even know they were in. So sometimes we're in situations that are causing problems in our life and we don't even know and recognize the situation that we're in so we're looking for and believing for an answer to the wrong problem. Ed Cole, the great leader of so many uh, years ago of men's ministry had this statement he says, many times, men, you're, you're, you're asking God, you're saying, the problem is, I can't pay my bills, I need more money. And he said, we're asking God for more money, and what we need to ask God is for wisdom to get to the root of the problem, why I need more money. But here's the ultimate example of that. Israel was praying for and crying out and expecting and believing for a deliverer, a Messiah came, and he comes in their midst and they didn't recognize him because the answer God sent wasn't in the form that they either were expecting or once he was there, even wanted. So sometimes the answer to your problem, the answer for your deliverance is is an answer you don't want. But it's what works. It's what works. Let's go on here a little bit because it gets even more so. But look at this. But as many as did receive Him, to them He gave the right, the ability, to become children of God to those who believe in His name. So what God was offering to them was not just, and to all of us, was not just deliverance from a political situation, from a physical bondage, from a physical need. He was giving them the ultimate deliverance, the ultimate blessing to to have them become His personal child, but only as many as received the gift, as many as received the answer, had the ability to experience that deliverance and that life in themselves. Let's go on to another, another example. Jesus is now on the earth, Mark chapter 6. We've talked about this before in different contexts. And he went out from there and came to his own country, and his disciples followed him. Verse 2. And when the Sabbath had come, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many hearing him were astonished, saying, where did this man get this wisdom from? So he's in his own place. He's come to his own hometown. Where did this man get this wisdom from? So, so here the Messiah, who's now been released into ministry, he's been baptized with the Holy Spirit, he's now going around the country performing miracles, preaching, revealing the Messiah has come and demonstrating that, and now he comes to his own home town. And they're saying, where did this man get these things? And what wisdom is this which has been given to him that such mighty works are performed by his hands? Now listen to their thinking. So the answers come to them. Verse 3. But isn't this the, the carpenter? We, we watched this kid grow up. The son of Mary and the brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon are, are not his sisters still with us? So the answer came to them. 
but they couldn't let go of the images that they had. They had preconceived images of Him. And because of that, when He came in His fullness to be God's answer to them, they were so caught up in the old images that they had, they couldn't let them go and receive Him for who He is and who He was to them and who He is. And look what the Bible says. So they were offended at Him. When God brings us an answer and we we refuse it, it's because in some way we're offended at the answer. And what that actually means is we're offended at Him because when we don't receive His answer, we're really not receiving Him. I don't say we don't love Him. I'm not saying we're not saved. But in the relationship, we become offended at Him. So go on, next verse. And Jesus said to them, A prophet's not without honor except in his own country and among his own relatives and in his own house. Verse 5. And now he could do no mighty work. Everywhere else he was able to perform miracles. He was able to demonstrate who he is. He was able to set the captives free. He was able to do everything he was commissioned and sent to do. Not just die and go to the cross, but set people free. The ultimate answer, but he couldn't do it. He couldn't do it. It's not that he didn't want to. He could not. So their refusal to change their image, their entrenchment in the preconceived ideas they had stopped God from, able to, from, del- being, able, from being able to deliver them. I thought God could do anything. But He can't make you receive something that He's given you. So imagine the possibilities of the answers that God has for your issues in your life. Personal issues. Issues in your marriage. Issues in your children. Issues in your future. Your finances. The issues that He has in our culture, our community, in our world today. God has the answer. But we can't receive it. He can't do it, perform it, if we won't receive it. And yet God gets blamed. How could you let this happen? How could you, if you're a good God, how could these things happen? Because we don't understand the partnership that God has entered into with man. He could not do any mighty works there. Go on to verse 6. And he marveled because of their unbelief. And he went about the villages and the circuit teaching, and we'll just stop there. All right, so we're seeing that just because there is an answer doesn't mean it's going to do anything in our lives. There's a part we have to play. God's answer to every question, every problem, comes in the form of truth or light. And that comes from His word. But here's the problem. This is what we're going to look at today. We've all built up defenses, blocks in our mind and in our heart that block us from receiving God's truth and God's answer. And we all have done this in different ways. And the whole purpose of the day is to just awaken us to that so that the Spirit of God can begin to point things out to us and say, this is an area where I want to work in your life. I've been walking with the Lord for 43 years. I'm in a, a, a more mature stage of life. <laughs> and God has been exposing in me attitudes and walls that I have built into my understanding and into my heart that He is challenging now because He wants to expand the capacity of my heart to care for people, to be sensitive to situations. He's trying to transform us into the image of Christ. And when we do that, then His answers are able to flow not for us, just for us, but through us. And so this is something I am going through myself now, but I'm going to bring you with me. So what I go through, you're going to have that same opportunity. Oh boy. But it's wonderful. It sets us free. Jesus said, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. 
But if you don't know the truth, if you don't receive the truth, it can't set you free. All right, let's begin to look at some of these things. Now we've all built defenses and blocks to receiving the truth. Because these are things that often make us uncomfortable. We don't like. We, we don't like change. I mean, we've just been forced to go through dramatic changes in our life this year. And if we're honest about it, we balked against it. We didn't like it. And, and that's okay from, for some things. But human nature is we, we want to be comfortable. We want to be safe. And that means any kind of change can threaten that. And so we're going to talk about some of these things this morning a little bit, at least to make us conscious of them and aware of them. But the problem is this. If we don't face the blocks, the walls, the, the, the protections, the defenses that we build up, if we don't face these and allow the Holy Spirit to work in us, then we're choosing to walk in darkness because God is bringing light to us through His Word, through His Spirit. But if we resist it, if we resist it, then we are making a choice to walk in darkness. And if you bring that over into our natural life, think how dangerous that is. Walk around all day with a blindfold over your eyes. Get in your car to drive to church with a blindfold over your eyes. We know that's crazy. You're going to get in an accident, and yet we walk through our spiritual life willing to allow our eyes to be blinded and don't understand why we're struggling. Because we've opened the door to demonic influences maybe, because we're violating God's Word in certain areas, because we're not obeying certain things. This is, comes back to why. Because I know what God said, but I don't like that. I, don't, I know what God said, but I'm not sure I quite agree with God. We would never put it that way. But isn't that leaning to our own understanding? Isn't that deciding what's good and evil for ourselves? And that's what always gets us in trouble and until we're willing to simply be obedient to what God's Word says, then we will stay in trouble, and it will become worse. So, I have good news for you. We're going to get to there. But let's look at what some of these things are. Before we get that, let's look at this. In Matthew chapter 7, we're not going to turn there, the story of the, of the two contractors, the one who built a house, and he built it on sand, but down to the beach, we saw houses out there, amazing. We saw houses built on the side of hills and part of the house was being held up, <laughs> held up by, by, by pillars on ground that's on a slope like this. Now it doesn't rain much out there, but when it rains, they just a few years ago, they had terrible mudslides and it's not hard to imagine, why did my house slide into the sea? Because dummy, you build it on sand. And Jesus uses that example. And then there's another contractor who builds the same house, same design, got the materials from the same place, but he built it on a rock. And when the storm comes, the house built on sand is going to wash into the sea. And I won't have time to tell you that I've seen that happen in a hurricane. I've actually watched that happen when I was a young boy in a hurricane. But the house that's built on the rock will stand because of the foundation. And Jesus said, this is the difference. Those of you who, both, of, both groups, heard the same word. But the group that heard the word and did not apply it in their life, did not receive the word, is the man that built his house, he built his life, had a family, built a career, but he built it on sand. So that when the storms come, it will not stand. But those that, build, those that hear the word and then apply it in their life, receive that word, receive that answer, build your life, your house, your family on a foundation that is God's Word, God's truth. And God's Word will hold you up. God's truth will hold you up when the storms of life come against you. Let's go look at it, it, um, John chapter 1. Verse, excuse me, James chapter 1, verse 22, famous verse. But be doers of the Word and not hearers only. Look what he says, deceiving yourself. As one thing to have some con artist come and trick you and deceive you. It's another thing when you choose to do it to yourself and then we get mad at God. 
And notice what the Bible says. This is truth. This is an answer. You're hearing answers now. God's answer says, God's word says, when, when you hear the truth and you resist applying it in your life, you reject it, you argue with it, then you are making a choice to deceive yourself. Go on. If anyone's a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man see, observing himself, not, his, observing his natural face in a mirror. Go ahead, next one. Who observes himself and then goes away and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. Let's stop there. This explains, I always wonder, well, Lord, how is it that we're, dece- what, how, is, how do we deceive ourselves by doing this? And as I saw this part of the, this verse, it became clear to me. Because what happens, and, and, and we all do it, at some point in church or listening to a message, we hear a truth and we accept that truth with our minds. Yes, amen. Oh, that's great. Wow, it's just what I needed. We write it down. We underline our Bible. We get so excited about that truth. But we don't actually apply it in our life. What happens is when you get excited about the truth, the deception is I think getting excited about it is the same thing as actually changing. That went over big. Ed Cole used to have this expression change is not change until you change. And the deception is I think that by hearing it, it's mine. I think that just by hearing God's words, God's answer to this problem, that it's done, it's mine. But it's only as you receive that answer into your heart and into your life and begin to apply that answer. And we'll talk later on. The Holy Spirit's here to help you apply it. But it starts with your will to receive it into your heart, to admit that you need to make a change in that area, to admit that this is an issue in your life, to admit it then and begin to make, or make the decision, I'm going to apply God's Word in that area, then His Spirit is in you to enable you to do it, but He's waiting on you to accept the answer and not argue with it, reject it, or choose to be blind to it. Verse 25 but he looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues it. It's not a forgetful here. He's a doer of the work. This one will be blessed in what he does. He will have God's blessing in the situations of his life. He will have God's favor, God's blessing as you work your way through those problems. God's hand will now be working with you and in you as you face those situations in your family, in your finances in your marriage, in your personal growth. And this is available to our nation. It's available to the church. God has the answer to these, all these problems in the nation, in the world, but they're not turning to Him. They don't want to turn to Him. Because in order to turn to Him, they've got to admit that they are wrong. Let's look at some of these. So the point here is that when we refuse, when we block God's answer, we're deceiving ourselves. And then what happens is this isn't just in your own mind. There is a deceiver who is out there, Satan, the enemy of your soul. And his primary method of working into your life is through deception. That's exactly what he did in the garden. He made Eve think he was trying to give her something when he was really stealing the very core of what God had given to them. And so when we choose to be deceived, when we choose to resist God's word and God's answer, we're not just deceiving ourselves, but we're opening our hearts to the deceiver because he will jump on the back of that deception and ride you right on through the end if you will allow him to. Good preaching, Pastor John. I needed to hear this. (laughs) I'm just telling you what God's been dealing with me about. So the purpose of today is to recognize that these deceptions are choices we make when we yield to them. So I'm going to go through just, I'm going to go through about um, five of them here. It doesn't mean there aren't more, but in my life and I think in my experience with people, these are the five principal ones. And some of this has come to me just to be, give you an insight 
Some of this has come to me as we began to face some very difficult issues in our nation and even in this church last year. We began to face the racial issues that we're being forced to, to look at. And I began to, to just, my first reaction was with normal reactions that I've had for a number of years. And then I began to pray and God said, you need to check yourself. Are you really open to hear the truth? God asked me. Well, how else are you going to answer God? No, I don't want to hear the truth. And so I began to open my heart for God to show me things that were in my heart, in my understanding, that I did not know were there. I had to be willing to let God, through the Holy Spirit, show me things. I had to be willing to be made uncomfortable by things I might look at in myself. And we're going to talk about some of these things. I'm going to get ahead. Okay, so the first one, first block is prejudice. And I know we immediately think of racial prejudice and that's a primary example of it. But let's talk about what a prejudice is. It's a preconceived view. Preconceived means you've already made up your mind or somebody made it up for you. Preconceived views, ways of about persons or issues that form our reaction to them. This is all in my notes. You can download. That form our reaction to them and their filters to everything we do and say. So when we have a prejudice in our life, it filters everything we hear. Because whatever comes into our hearing, into our mind, if it doesn't line up with our prejudice, we don't receive it. So we're talking about receiving truth from God. So if I have a prejudice in, my er- in an area, then what's going to happen is, I'm not hearing things God's trying to say to me that confront that prejudice. It's a filter. A number of years ago, my, uh, Chris gave me for Father's Day a pair of Polaroid sunglasses. And, and, and what I found the Polaroid lenses do is if we go down to the, the beach, there's a beach near us, and I go out there on a day when the sun's glistening off the water, it's great because it, 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 I can see the glistening, but it's not hurting my eyes. And then I discovered that if I turn the lens this way, all that begins to come through because what a Polaroid lens does is it filters light coming it from one angle, so it only comes in, in from one direction. And you can see clearly, but you're not getting the full effect of it. And so that's what prejudice does. It filters what we're able to see. And here's the danger. It filters what we're able to hear God say to us. He filters the answers that God's able to give to us. So God may want to talk to you about an area of your life where He has an answer to you, but it's in an area where you have a prejudice about something and He can't get His light into that area. Prejudice is a preconceived atti- view or attitude of persons or person or uh, 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 issues that form our reaction to them and filters everything we say or do. Even our response to what God says about them, it will filter. To look at what God says often threatens my preconceived view. My preconceived view is almost always, listen to this, our prejudices are almost always rooted in self. Because what a prejudice does is it puts me always in the preferred position. I'm part of the group that's better than that other group. Whether it's race, whether it's education, whether whatever it is, prejudice always is putting some other group, some other people down for my benefit. So ultimately, It's selfish. It's based around me. And the second thing is it always separates. By nature, it creates division. So prejudice in church separates the body of Christ, divides the body of Christ. We'll leave that one. We'll go on to a better one. Pride. Mm. pride says this I'm so certain that I'm right I don't need to listen to you because I'm so confident in what I see and what I understand that I don't need to listen to this oh I want to know the truth but I know I know I'm right there's an old expression I was it's kind of going through my mind during praise and worship It's amazing the things that go through my mind when I'm supposed to be worshiping. But often that's when God's talking to me. 
There's an old expression that I didn't understand when I was young, and that's that the older you get, the more you realize you don't know. Hmm, I see. Don't shake your head too much because we'll know who's getting older. <laughs> and it's true. Because the more, you re- the more you grow, the more you learn, the more you realize you didn't know when you were younger. And all you do is begin to project beyond that. See, the root of the confidence that I know everything or I, is, 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 is a pride. And pride is ultimately, listen carefully, pride is ultimately based on insecurity. I can't afford to look at the truth because it may reveal some things about me I don't want to see. So I dig my heels in, I know the answer here. Now here's the real danger of pride. The Bible has some very severe warnings about pride. That's not going to be up here, but I'll just give you the reference. James 4, 6 said, God, God, not the devil, God resists the proud. I've got enough challenges in my life as it is without having to fight God. God resists the proud, but He gives more grace to the humble. That's in James 4, 6. Proverbs 16, 18 says, Pride goes right before destruction. So if you're not willing to deal with pride, God will deal with the pride. He will, he will help you with the pride unless you're so prideful you don't believe you have any. Well, let's go on to a better one. So we've talked about prejudice, pride, selfishness. How does selfishness relate to this? I don't care what's right or wrong. I only care what, how it affects me. I don't, want to, I don't care about the truth. I just want to know what am I getting out of this. So I know there's a mess in my family and there's an answer. God has an answer, but I really want to know it. I just want to know what's going to make me feel better. I just want to know how am I going to come out of this. And there's the problem with selfishness. I almost have, don't have to talk about that. It's the very antithesis of God Himself. It's the very, if you're a Christian, it's the, you're opposing your own nature. Because our nature that God's given us is love. Selfishness. Let's move on. Another one. Stubbornness. Now, I'm mostly German. I thought my wife would laugh. And I, I, I can have some stubbornness in me. It's a good thing she's wearing a mask. What's stubbornness do? It says, this is just the way I am. It's, just, it's, just, it's, how, it's who I am. I, I'm not, I can't change. It's the way God made me. It, it's, I'm, it's who I am. Or it's my nationality. I'm a, well, I'm a German, so I can't, you know, I'm stubborn. That's just the way it is. Or I'm, you know, some other nationality. Or, we're just emotional. We just, emotions, where are emotions? We just fly. But that's just the way I am. That's the way God made me. That's, but God's trying to change you. God's trying to deal with that anger. Maybe that's the root of the problem. Stubbornness. In the Old Testament, God had a term for this, for His people. Stiff-necked, yeah. Stiff-necked. And I looked that word up in Hebrew, which is what it was written in. It refers to an animal, what an animal would do when, they, when, the, when the owner, when the farmer, tried to put the yoke on them. And an animal that didn't want to be under that yoke would stiffen their neck like this, so the owner, so the farmer could not put that yoke, could not, so they could not receive the yoke. Jesus said, all you that are weary by the issues of your life, all you that are worn down by the challenges and problems of life, all of you come to me, all you that are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Come and learn from me, for I am meek and lowly, and take my yoke upon you. For my yoke 
my words, my answers, my truth is easy. So, whoa, whoa, wait a minute, wait a minute, it's a yoke. No, no, the, the, the challenges in fighting against the yoke, not once you put it on. Once you submit to His authority in your life, there's a peace and there's a rest because the control of your life the control of what's good and evil is now ultimately out of your... It's back to where God made us to begin with. Simply under His authority. The fifth one is fear. What will happen to me if I allow this truth to affect me? I read an article, I saw it on YouTube during this last election about the difference between conservatives and I forgot what the other term was, liberals or progressives. I just remember what the conservative was. Think of what the word conservative means. The word conserve means to conserve what you have. So conservatives are people that like the way things are. So they want to conserve it. Progressives are people that don't like the way things are because they're not getting the benefit out of the way things are. So they want change but they may not know what that change brings. So anytime there's a change, our fallen nature is afraid because we don't know how that's going to affect me. So let's get down to it. Suppose you've got a financial problem. Your finances are a mess. What does God's Word say about that? Bring all the tithes into the storehouse. I don't want to do that. But that's God's answer. But if I do that, I'm going to go broke. That's God's answer. So if I say, I'm not, I can't do that, I'm afraid I'm going to go broke, I'm deciding what's right and wrong for myself and not submitting to what God said is good and evil. And so I've got to hold on to my finances and I've got to work this problem out myself instead of submitting to the answer that God brings us. But it creates fear. What have I got? I remember, I remember the moment they found out about tithing. I almost gave up my Christian credentials and said, I don't want to be one. No, that's, I'm joking. It's, I mean, I suddenly said, because I was working in a large law firm in Boston, and they paid us once a month. So I thought of that first check what 10% of that was going to mean. And I had never written a check for that amount to a church in my life. I never thought about it. But I had a decision to make. I saw it in God's Word. Am I going to trust God with my life and my finances, or am I going to continue to keep Him in my own hands? And I made the right choice. And God has taken care of me, blessed us, and provided for us. Even when we, I made stupid decisions and wasted things, God was still there faithful to His Word to provide His deliverance and His answer because I submitted that area of my life to Him. Fear. So it's prejudice, pride, selfishness, stubbornness, and fear. Hebrews 3, chapter 3 and 4, we're not going to look at there. Uh, Three times in there, there's a warning. Today, if you hear His voice, if you hear His answer, do not harden your hearts. And then He uses Israel as an example of a people that God continually gave answers to, truth to, and they were stiff-necked. They hardened their hearts so they couldn't receive the answer. And the result is that generation God was not able to take them into their destiny and the blessing and purpose that he had an answer he had a deliverance for them he was bringing them into a promised land filled with all kinds of blessings and where the land would help them and provide everything that they needed but because they would not listen to him and obey his instructions they hardened their heart and God was not able to take them in, just like Jesus was not able to do mighty miracles in his hometown because they would not receive him. And so Hebrews gives us a warning, be careful today if you hear his voice, 
Do not harden your heart. And there's a deceiver out there working through all of those things we just talked about to try to get you to receive those things and he knows it will ultimately harden your heart. So what are we to do? How do we overcome these blocks? Philippians chapter 2. This is the great encouragement. Philippians chapter 2, verse 3. Therefore, my beloved brethren, as you've always obeyed, so he's talking to Christians, as you've always obeyed, not just in my, as in my presence only, but now and much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Just stop. Just go back a second. He's not saying earn your salvation. He's taking the salvation that was given to you when you received Christ now has to be worked to the outside. It has to become part of your life. And it is only by doing what God says to do. Go to verse 13. We're going to come back here in a second. For it is, we're talking about how do I... Alright, I'm going to face these things. There's some prejudice maybe in my life that I'm willing to let God express. The Spirit of God will point these things out to you if you're willing to allow Him to do it. He wants to work with you. You can't do this yourself. But if you harden your heart with any one of those things we talked about, He's not able to work in your heart what He wants to do. But if you're willing to, look what God's promised to do. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do His good pleasure. Just be honest with Him. God, I have a problem with this issue. It's fear. I have a problem with prejudice in this issue. I have a problem with this issue, Lord, but I, don't, I want to obey your word. Help me. It's what the Holy Spirit's in you to do. And He's at work in you. Not standing in heaven telling you what you've got to do. He's inside of you at work in you to set you free in these areas so that His fruit can come through your life. Both to will and to do is good pleasure. But go back to verse 12. We often forget the verse before here. Therefore, my beloved brethren, having always obeyed in my presence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now go back to verse 13. For it is God who's at work in you. This isn't just a counselor that you've consulted with and said, look, I want to help you deal with these issues in your life. And you can listen to their counsel and say, well, I'll take some of it, but some of it I won't. This is God who is talking to us. This is God who is talking to me about some of these issues. And so I need to respond with the fear and trembling of recognizing who it is that's saying, I want you to change in this area. Who it is that's confronting that prejudice. Who it is that's confronting and saying, are you willing to look at this issue? As we've talked last year about about the racial issues in the world, but, but especially in the church. This church. And look around and see what a wonderful mix God has brought together, but it's still here. And the resistance I felt from some people, who, some white people, I'll just say it, that, that begin to argue back and forth, my concern is they're not willing to let God show them what may be in them. Because we just come up with answers. Well, this is, you know, I've heard all kinds of answers, some of which I used to use myself. Well, some of my best friends are of color. That means I have no prejudice. Let God talk to you about that. I love people of color. That's great. Let God talk to you. Are you willing to let God talk to you? We had two forums here where we gave people of color in this church an opportunity to share what they go through just because of the color of their skin. And we had a miserable turnout of white people who were willing to listen. Some of them that came learned some things. One of our elders and his wife sat up here and started crying because they began to hear things they never heard before. But they were heard it because they were willing to come and to listen. Just be open. Let God talk to me. Because if I don't do that, I'm saying, God, I got it all set. Or either I got it all set, or I don't care whether I have it all set. But it's God 
who's tapping on your heart. It's God who wants access to your heart. It's God and who He is with His authority, and his, but His love for you also. And therefore, we're to respond to this with fear and trembling, not afraid of Him, but a reverence for who it is that's talking, wants to talk to us about areas of our life that we've been prejudiced in, afraid of looking at, stubborn about, proud about, and all these other areas. Hebrews chapter 5, we'll close with this. He's talked about, the writer of Hebrews has just spent essentially 11 chapters correcting them. Correcting attitudes, correcting things, attitudes that we're beginning to get in our life. And now he's going to talk to them in these brief scriptures about how to receive that correction. Have you forgotten the exhortation that speaks to you as sons? My son. Now, so the first thing we see here is God's telling you, I correct you, I'll deal with you out of a relationship of a father who loves you as your son, as his daughter. So this is a, a, a father who really loves you, will correct you, out of love, not condemnation, not anger. My sons, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you're rebuked by Him. Stay there. There's two responses there to correction that the writer of Hebrews is telling us, and they're both wrong. They will both stop God's truth from getting through. The first is, do not despise the chastening. Despise means, I don't need that. I don't like that. It's an outright resistance. That's despising God's correction. But the second one's more subtle. Nor be discouraged when you're rebuked by Him. That's fainting. I'm such a terrible person, God. I'm so sorry. I'm such a terrible person. And while I'm pouring all that out, I'm not willing to change. Somehow that's like self-flagellation. Uh, you know, I'm a terrible person, I'm, you know, I'm, but that's not change. I'm going to just quickly tell you this story. Years ago, Chris had a dog, King. He was anything but a king. And this dog was almost untrainable. So he hired a trainer. And he came out and he had, him, he had Chris stand there and he said, now just tell him to sit. And the dog, the dog just kind of looks at him and goes, <sighs> and he said, now force him to. So he forced him down. The moment he forced him down, the dog collapsed into Chris. And we said, oh my goodness, he, he's too weak. He can't do this. He says, you know, you watch this. So he came around. He, said, he, said, he says, King, sit. And he went, no. Like that. And the dog went like this. See, he was, the dog was manipulating us to think he was too weak to learn the simple instructions of obedience to sit. So when we're discouraged and say, I can't do it, we're trying to manipulate God by saying, uh, you, you, you're telling me something I'm, I can't do. But we said, God is at work in you. God wouldn't tell us to do something He doesn't enable us to do. He'll never expect you to do something you can't do or He'll enable you to do it. So when we say, I can't do it, we're telling, you're, you're coming up with an excuse to not obey Him. Let's go quickly on. We've got to go on. Oh my goodness. For whom the Lord chastens, whom the Lord loves, He chastens. That means corrects. He scourges every son He receives. Verse 7 is what I wanted to get to. Next verse. If you endure chastening, then God deals with you as sons. Stop there. In the Greek, that's a little hard, but what the essence of this is saying is if you will allow God to correct you, then He is able to deal with you the way a father deals with his son. And He goes on to talk, we'll have to look up His scriptures. He goes on to talk about how a godly father will correct his son because he loves him so that he will produce in that son, the peaceable fruit of righteousness. But he says, in order to do this, you've got to understand, chastening is never fun. It's difficult. It's hard on us. But we have to receive it knowing that the one who's correcting us loves us. And is only doing this to bring out the nature of Christ that's already in us so that we can enjoy the fullness of that person who lives in us and loves us and that through us God can shine forth his light 
into this lost and dying world. So, we'll end with this question. Oh, the, the, next, the last verse, in the 12th verse says, Therefore, basically, stand up and be a man. He says, shake off the laziness, stand up so that your knees would not be, so knees would be healed. He's saying, you've been corrected, now get on with it. So here's, I want to end with these questions for you to consider prayerfully. What are the areas of your life do you have some of these blocks in that might interfere with God's answers to your life? What attitudes do you have about issues in our society that might block God from showing you His truth about that? Let's pray. We've come to you today, Father, because you love us as a father. And we've trusted our eternal future into your hands. And if we can trust you with our eternal future, certainly we can trust you with being a father to us in our life here. So often, Father, we realize we have cried out to you for things and, and we've not seen what we expected and perhaps, perhaps, the answer you had for us was not something we were open to. You're at work in us because you love us. You're at work in us because you have our best interests at heart. You're at work in us because you need us in order to form Christ in us that His light may shine into this dark world we sang about earlier. So my prayer for all of us today, Father, as we leave this place, go back into our families, back into our busy lives, that the Holy Spirit would take something we've heard today and begin to tap, tap on the doors of our heart and ask us if we're willing to open and let Him come in and shine His light and His love into those areas. We trust ourselves to you to do this. In Jesus' name, amen. Before we